Well, good morning. I do give honor to our God who is worthy of all praise. I magnify Him, Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm thankful, brothers and sisters, for the privilege to be back with you and appreciate the opportunity given me to do so. Look forward to the time together around God's Word. As Brother Kevin mentioned, Terry is at a family or attending later today a family reunion in uh, the Irwin area and uh, down in Harney County. And she sends her greetings. Always, she always enjoys the privilege of being with you, so uh, as I do. So we uh, miss her, but glad that I can have this privilege today. I, I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to John. Uh, as Brother Kevin mentioned in prayer, the uh, resurrection of our Lord, which uh, we can celebrate every day, but particularly with regard to uh, the calendar, we think about next Sunday. I want us to also consider with regard to the events of this coming week as they would have transpired back in the time of our Lord's life, uh, His death, and I'd like for us to do it against the background of what I would present to you as bookends in John's Gospel in chapters 13 and 18. We'll look at chapter 13 first, the Lord willing, and uh, I guess it's almost dangerous to give you two texts because I... Uh, you know, sometimes I don't seem to make it well through one. It's uh, I can put 20 minutes of preaching into 45 real easy, you know. Uh, but uh, I would like for us to look at these because I do believe they are in, in a measure bookends that mark the Gospel of John. We see this throughout the Scriptures in some cases. Uh, <clears throat> the, the term that people use from a literary standpoint is inclusio. Basically that you have a beginning and an end that is very similar and those things kind of tie things together for us. Sometimes it may be in a specific phrase in the scriptures. Sometimes it may be in terms of uh, of uh, exhortation, say in the book of Hebrews chapters 4 and 10. But uh, in the case of John here, I believe John gives us in some incidents that happened before and after what we commonly call the inner room discourse. Uh, or excuse me, the, the upper room discourse. Some call it, in regard to the tabernacle, the inner room and then the Holy of Holies. Because if you remember in the order of the uh, tabernacle, we have that room that was within the court. The court where the priest would go and sacrifice would be made. And then there was the holy place and the most holy place. And some have likened the upper room discourse there in chapters Really, it begins in chapter 13. We think primarily of chapters 14 through 17. <clears throat> the upper room discourse is followed by the prayer of our Lord in chapter 17. Some say we have the holy place, Christ talking to his disciples, and then the most holy place, Christ praying for his disciples. And it's all in anticipation of his coming death and resurrection. We'll say more about it, the Lord will, in next hour as well. I want us to look to John chapter 14. But in uh, the 13th chapter of John, I'd like to read in your hearing those words. And they present to us, I believe, in a, a real way, the work of Christ that he is about to accomplish at the cross. And uh, we see it in John 13. I think we also see it in John 18. In the arrest of our Lord, as John gives us an illustration of what was going to be taking place, transpiring, as he was to go to the cross. So let's look there at chapter 13. Beautiful words here. We'll 
I just read through to verse 17. But uh, as we do, may our God be pleased to bless His Word. Again, John 13, beginning at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. I can say hallelujah to that, can't you? And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happier ye if ye do them. Well, we trust our God will add His blessing to our consideration of this portion, along with those of John 18, those words of John 18. May we just again ask our God's blessing on His Word. Father, we do bow before You in the worthy name of our Lord Jesus, Thy dear Son. We thank You again for His precious blood. Father, for the forgiveness we know because of what He purchased at the tree on our behalf. And Father, we do come in His name to ask thee bless thy word and glorify thy son as we look to this portion and in thy will to john 18 father we ask you to grant us your spirit's quickening of our minds our hearts our understandings and lord that you would give us that liberty we need in order to speak thy word rightly lord jesus as you would say to thy disciples within this extended portion of the gospel without thee we can do nothing we ask Thee then to aid us by Thy Spirit, in Thy worthy name. Amen. Well, as we look at these words again in John 13, we see John setting the stage, which he's been doing already, the words of chapter 12, in which I know we've looked with you uh, not so long back, I believe it was, John chapter 12. And John chapter 13, the hour is now closer at hand. And of course, uh, as we know from John's Gospel, John has spoken in the words of the Lord Jesus about mine hour and my time. My time is not yet come, he said. Mine hour is not yet come. But now that hour is approaching. 
more more closely. And as a result, our Lord is preparing His disciples, but He also wants them to have a sense and realization of the work that He is going to accomplish for them, a work that you and I as well needed. And He does so here in way of illustration. He obviously is presenting a great example of humility. Uh, I think about the words of Paul in Philippians 2 and Paul reminds God's people of how uh, we should, as it says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but but rather we should prefer one another in love and humility and and have that humbleness of mind and heart. And, And then he goes on to say it this way, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we think about the reality of what the Spirit of God speaks of through the pen of Paul there in Philippians 2. How he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I believe what John does here by inspiration is gives us a good picture of that in the very activity of the Lord Jesus at that night of His betrayal. The Lord Jesus, as we see, and I love the preface that opens these words in John 13, verses 1 through 3, they give to us that introduction, that preface to the words that John gives us about our Savior's humility and example to us as disciples. But but John does it in such a way, uh, and I particularly would lift before you, because of time we can't focus long on verses 1 through 3, but I love that last part of verse 1. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. A great words there. A love that will not let me go. A love that would not let his people go. A love which would be a, a, a love that was firm and fixed and final. And by that grace, you and I have come to love him too. We've been brought, our hearts subdued, our hearts captured, our hearts made new, our hearts born again by the breath of God from on high so that we now love Him who first loved us. And uh, John introduces it in those terms and speaks about the events. But then, if you will, let's just drop down to verse 4. We read there of our Savior, He riseth from supper and laid aside His garments and took a towel and girded Himself. I believe we have again here a picture for us that that in, in some measure illustrates for us what Paul says in Philippians 2. He laid aside His garments. He laid aside His glory. Now, if we were to go back to Leviticus 16 and take it in combination with what is said about the high priest apparel in Exodus, particularly chapter 28, we would find that the the high priest had garments of glory and beauty on. They were a long flowing garment. The Greek word that is used not only in Exodus in the Greek translation, but also in Revelation 1 is pederes. That's reaching to the feet. A podiatrist is... I'll get it out. A podiatrist is somebody who works with the feet. Well, pederes is extending to the feet. And that long robe that the high priest had on. But in the work of the high priest... As God prescribed it in the details of the law, the high priest would lay aside those garments of glory and beauty 
on one special day of the year. That day was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He would lay it aside and he would put on simple linen garments, pure linen tunic, linen breeches, and he would go into the holy place and then into the most holy place to make atonement. And brothers and sisters, it's a great picture of our Lord Jesus Christ who from old eternity had on garments of glory and beauty that were His. But in order to save us, in order to be the atonement we desperately needed, He laid aside those garments of glory and beauty and He donned the simple, and I say it, not simple really, from a human standpoint, not simple, but He laid aside His garments of glory and beauty and put on Himself those garments of pure holiness. In the simplicity of His divine manhood, His humanity joined with deity in hypostatic union in a way you and I can't fully comprehend, you drop your bucket down, you're going to keep pulling up water, I tell you. Because it's so deep to think about what happened when our Lord Jesus Christ... God was manifest in the flesh. And He put on those simple garments, and yet pure and spotless, holy Son of God. And I believe John pictures that for us here. In a simple way, He laid aside His garments. He put on a towel, and then He began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, the picture is one that I think we could appreciate. And it comes out more clearly because of Peter's objection. Somebody said Peter had foot and mouth disease, and that may well be accurate. He's often saying the wrong things, but he's often saying the right things too. Because remember, by God's grace, he said when they, he was asked, Whom do men say that I am? And then the Lord Jesus asked, Whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he answered, And our Lord Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Thank God for the revelation of the Son of God by the Father to the heart of sinners. And and, and Simon Peter here, because of his protest, we see a little bit that unpacks this scene even more for us, I believe. But it, it, it conveys the idea of the Again, the purpose of the Incarnation. The Lord Jesus laying aside His garments of glory and beauty. Why? Because you and I desperately needed cleansing. You and I desperately needed to be washed. Sometimes people like to say about believers, Christians, you've all been brainwashed. And when they do, I like to tell them, guilty! I needed my brains to be washed. I needed everything to be washed. I needed body, soul, and spirit to be washed. So guilty. And thank God my my brains have been washed. Hallelujah. By the blood of Christ. Cleansed, brothers and sisters. Sanctified by the work of the Spirit of God. Applying that blood. And, And what Peter is doing in effect is protesting in such a way as to interfere with the picture. And so he says, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then, Lord, my hands and my feet and my head too. And our Lord then makes a statement. If you'll notice it, please, verse 10. He that is washed. And here the Greek verb is actually different 
But, but the, the idea is bathed. Luo, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, the idea here is something that those who uh, want to deny the security of the saints, the everlasting life that God's elect have, they, they, they ought to listen to this picture here. If you've been bathed, you don't need to be bathed again. I realize some say I've been saved five times, but uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that. They might have concocted that through some man-made theology, but if you've been washed, if you've been bathed, you don't need to be bathed again. But what is important is what? As I walk in this world, what happens? My feet get dirty. So what do I need? I need them to wash my feet. I need daily to go to Him. I, more than daily, I need moment by moment to go to Him. Say, Lord Jesus, my feet have gotten dirty again. I remember hearing years ago at the Sovereign Grace Bible Conference, Brother Ward used to host up in Lexington at Main Street Baptist Church there in Kentucky. Uh, there was a, a brother who came from uh, Chattanooga who preached, and he told about when his mama bought him a white tough skin suit. Now, some of y'all remember tough skins. I think Sears did it, right? Tuskins, there you go. And she, she, she had, she had gotten him. I, I guess they made a special jean suit out of that, you know. And uh, he had gotten it. And, and, and Mama told him when he went outside, the place, said, "Now, son, don't mess up your suit. No, don't mess up your tuskins." But he got those white tuskins messed up. He said he went in crying, "Mama, I got my tuskin messed up." Well, brothers and sisters, that's what happened. Sadly, as God's people. We've, we, we, now we'll never soil his garment but we do soil ourselves even as we live in this world the Lord Jesus gives us a picture of that you've been bathed but don't forget to be washed don't forget to come back to the labor of cleansing when the priest would go in to do their work they had that labor there in the yard of the tabernacle the courtyard in order to wash and they were told specifically in the words of the law that they were to wash. And I need to be washed. By grace, I've been made a priest of God, to, to God through the work of His Son, our great high priest. But I need to wash as I do the work of the priesthood in the midst of living from day to day. And you know, one thing that Baptists and even uh, some of the those uh, like Martin Luther and William Tyndall, they talked about the obedience and the freedom of the Christian man. And what they meant by that is that God has called us all to serve. Of course, you know, in the day of Luther and the day of Mr. Tyndall, the Roman priest would take holy orders and that they were to be sanctified. But Luther pointed out and Tyndall and Baptist themselves later picked up really that thought and took it in a wider way to extend the priesthood of all the believers, the recognition that every one of us is called to be a priest. And in our work, in our neighborhood, in our community, wherever we are, we're to be doing priestly business for our God, holy business for our King. And in order to do that, I need to be washed because sin's pollution will hinder my labor for Him. And so our Lord gives us this picture in terms of laying aside the garment again, Wrapping himself in a towel, 
pouring out water into a basin and then going and washing His disciples' feet. And the Lord Jesus pictures for us, really, this work. Now He also gives us, as He makes clear in verses 12 through 14, and verse 15 it illustrates it, gives it the word example. He's given us this picture of humility that we're to practice. Now in the days of uh, the disciples and of our Lord, when they walked just about everywhere they went, and they generally wore sandals in their walking, your feet would get dirty. I can remember as a boy, I, I didn't wear shoes a lot. I stubbed my big toe a whole lot too, and that was painful because I didn't wear shoes. But, but I can remember sometimes at the end of the day looking at my feet and all the soiling and dirt that was on them. Well, that's what happens to us. And I can remember sometimes I'd try to go to sleep not having washed my feet. Couldn't do it. Those dirty feet kept yelling at me while I was under that cover. You better clean me up, you know. Well, similarly as God's people, we need to have our feet washed. But again, there's only one way by which we can have our feet washed. There's only one way by which I could be bathed. He has to do the work. He had to lay aside the garment so that you and I could become clean. And John gives us this object lesson, this picture, as he prefaces these words to the, again, the upper room discourse as we call it. As we go to the holy place and into the holy of holies, he gives us that picture. But then on the back side to John chapter 18, if we could turn over there, and I'm doing better than I thought here. Uh, but John chapter 18, if we could look at that and consider... The, the picture again as John gives it to us, but this time against the backdrop of the arrest of our Lord in the garden uh, uh, there at Gethsemane. We, we see it in the, the, the event of the washing of the feet, which was the common practice when, when one would prepare for the meal. We see now, though, the arrest of our Lord, and again, that illustration, that object lesson of Christ's death. Let's begin there, verse 1, John chapter 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went forth with His disciples over the brook Cedron, or Kitron as we know it, the Kedron Valley, where was a garden into the which He entered and His disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed Him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with His disciples." Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he, said, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. 
Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. We have here again in this scene that unfolds as our Lord is arrested in the garden. He has left the upper room. He and his disciples have made their way across the brook Kedron toward the the east side of Jerusalem and actually they're outside the real environs of the city there in the, in the region close to the Mount of Olives where our Lord so often resorted especially this last week we read in the details of the Gospels he resorted so that he might spend the night it was remember as he arose that he cursed the fig tree and the disciples uh, filled with amazement as Mark records Matthew gives us a collapse of condensed version but Mark records the next day they saw it and withered they'd heard the Lord Jesus curse the day before it was a picture of what Jerusalem was going to, about to fall under because they had failed to, to respond in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus message and they were, they were going to be under judgment but they're out here Judas knows the place because he is a disciple as well he has spent the night there too so he could easily lead the band of men given him by the high priest to arrest Christ but as he does so we see, again, I believe a great gospel picture of what our Lord's about to do. For as they come, Jesus, again, the words are so, so very clear. <clears throat> In verse 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him. That had the same expression we found back in chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus wasn't taken unawares by the cross. There was some Methodist bishop over in England back years ago who made a stupid statement that the cross wasn't the will of God for Jesus. And you might wonder, what book had he been reading? Must have been the Methodist book of discipline, but it wasn't the Bible because, but you know, his, his idea was Kind of like that expression you've heard, when life hands you a lemon, make lemonade. And so he was trying to say, well, the cross wasn't God's will for Jesus, but Jesus made the best of it. Nope. Nope. The cross wasn't plan B, C, D to Z for Jesus. The cross was plan A. He was the lamb slain, what? From the foundation of the world. He's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so Jesus knew what was about to transpire. He came into this world with the knowledge that this was where his life in humanity would take him. And knowing this, he goes out to meet the crowd. He's prayed 
John doesn't record Gethsemane as the synoptic gospel writers do, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John has what we looked at some time back with you again in chapter 12. Some call it the Joannine Gethsemane. Now is my soul troubled. Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. But for this hour I came into the world. The words of John 12. But here is our Lord Jesus having prayed as the gospel writers record there. Not my will but thine be done. The cup let it pass but it not my will. As, as that happens, our Lord meets those who have come to arrest him. And as he does, he asks them, whom seek ye? Verse 4. They answer, Jesus of Nazareth. And some of you are aware that as Jesus says, I am he, in our King James Version, the word he is italicized. Jesus says in Greek, ego eimi. Now, I am he is not a bad translation, but I believe that the idea is ego eimi, I am. And one reason I believe that's especially true here in John 18 is because of their response. Judas is with them, the crowd, leading them that's coming to arrest him. And it says in verse 6, As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he or I am, they went backward and fell to the ground. It seems there was a, a momentary display of his glorious deity and they hit the dirt. Now some have tried to find among those of the charismatic persuasions being slain in the spirit here. But the only problem is these weren't Jesus' friends who were being slain. These were his enemies. But I'll tell you this, they found out who was in control, didn't they? They found out who was in charge. They found out the reality he spoke of in John 10, to which God willing next hour will make reference again. No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And if I lay it down, I am able also to take it up again. Praise God. So our Savior then showing to them you don't have charge of this situation I have charge my father has charge I'm doing his will and, and, and as they get back up Jesus asked them again whom seek you verse 7 and their response again is Jesus of Nazareth and notice what he says and brothers and sisters, this is where I see particularly the gospel picture here that John intends us to see much like chapter 13, the foot washing gives us a gospel picture. Jesus answered, verse 8, I have told you that I am He. If therefore you seek Me, let these go, your, go their way. Now, if you think about the scene, in terms not only of the human picture, but also the divine picture. The Lord Jesus Christ, on behalf of His people, on behalf of His elect, is presenting Himself to the Father. And what does He say? Father, if You have Me, let these go. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for Saul... How shall they not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, if justice had the Lord Jesus as a substitute of his people, then what is demanded by that? His people must go free. Hallelujah. Now, we call that particular redemption. 
I heard about one Presbyterian seminary professor. He was from the South. He well learned man from all I know, but he loves to say, and he, he, he uses that Southern expression we use. You heard me expression, didn't you? Southern expression we use particularly, but he'll say tickly. Tickly. <laughs> Sounds like he's saying T I C K L Y, tickly, you know. But, brothers and sisters, we believe that there was a particular work that was done when the Lord Jesus died. He was laying down his life for his sheep. And because of that, when he died, justice was satisfied, and his sheep will one day all be in the glory because of him. Not one under the sentence of death, but there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Now, someone might say, Brother David, you're forcing this scripture. Well, I don't believe so because of what verse 9 says. Let me read them together, verses 8 and 9. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am He. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Now notice the words of verse 9. That, in order that, the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Now when did he say that? In the preceding chapter, chapter 17. Look with me please, if you will, at the words of verse 12. Let, let me, if we're going to read this right, we've got to appreciate it. So let's go back to verse 9 of chapter 17. And notice our Savior's, we talk about particular redemption. Let's notice our Savior's tickly praying too, okay? Verse 9, I pray for them. Talking about those whom thou hast given me, his elect. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, John quotes those words of verse 12 of chapter 17 in the words of verse 9 of chapter 18. Why? In order to show that those for whom Christ gave himself will not be lost. Now somebody says in verse 12 it mentions the son of perdition. And some would say Judas was given but he got out of hand. Well, don't believe that. Because the words of John 18 clearly show that Judas was on the wrong side. Judas was with the band that was arrested him. He wasn't one of those given. He wouldn't be called the son of perdition. The word perdition in the Greek text is apoleo. It's the word for the destruction of hell. It's the use of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2. It doesn't refer to a saved person. Because Judas wasn't given. Judas, I believe, is going to be at the head of that group in Matthew 7 that comes saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done? And he's going to say, depart from me, I what? Never knew you. Not I know you one time and you lost it and now you don't have it. No, but I, 
I never knew you. I never knew you before time began. I never knew you in time. And I will not know you in eternity to come. I never knew you. Judas will be that one. Leading that pack, I believe. Leading that group. Why? Because of the fact, brothers and sisters, that he was never saved. He was never given by the Father to the Lord Jesus. Now, I, 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 I don't have any ill will toward Judas. He was accountable for his sin, though. Somebody said about Judas in the garden, he kissed the door of heaven and went to hell. That's mad. That's sad. And from the standpoint of human responsibility, he will rightly be judged for the hatred that he had to the Lord Jesus that would give him over to betray him. But in the purposes of God, God was working out his will. Now, I can't wrap my mind around that. But I know God's that big. No trouble for Him. My pea brain, I, you know, like, like Augustine said, us talking about God, it's like taking our thimble and trying to empty the ocean. <laughs> can't do it. But brothers and sisters, our God is working out His will and He shows us here what? He shows us the exact substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus. Actual substitution. How, how actual, how exact. If you have me, let these go. And what does that mean? Not one of those whom the Father gave Him will be lost. Because of what? Because He's laying down His life. And there's even, I believe, an illustration of that in the words that follow. Because immediately after this, what does Simon Peter do? He draws his sword and he cuts off the high priest's ear. John, who knew the high priest's house, we find later in chapter 18, John knew the name of the servant, Malchus. It may be from the word Malak in Hebrew that refers to being king. Uh, but, but in any event, that's, that's immaterial. What we do know is, John doesn't record for us what Dr. Luke does record. And I think John writes, knowing that knowing the other Gospels were, were around, knowing that they had been given by the Spirit through the pen of other writers, John writes for his readers to round out the picture of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He knew them. He knew that people knew them. And so he didn't add this detail, but I think there's a reason. Because he's showing us something about... The fact that those for whom Christ was given, you can't take them. What did the Lord Jesus do when that servant's ear was cut off? What the other gospel tells us? Gospel tells us the Lord Jesus healed that man's ear. Now that, that should have been enough for those who rest him to say, I believe it. Y'all can handle this. I, 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 I don't want to mess with this man, you know. But they didn't. Human depravity, human sinfulness, making itself clear, rearing its ugly head. But here's the thing. They could have grabbed Peter and said, listen, we're going to arrest you too because you fought. You cut off a man's ear. But can you imagine the scene in court? Your Honor, this man cut off this man's ear. Really, which ear? He's got two of them. <laughs> it was his right or his left because I see them both on his head. I, well, if you look, there's a scar. I don't see any scar. 
In other words, brothers and sisters, the case against God's elect is no case at all. The gavel is dropped. Case dismissed. Paid in full. And I believe here again, there's even that illustration in, in Simon Peter. Immediately on the heels of, of all whom you've given me, I've lost none. Immediately on the heels of that is this illustration of a man who had fought, who'd cut off an ear, but there's no evidence. No evidence to show that any crime's been done, anything's been committed, a file of the law. And brothers and sisters... That's the record of God's elect. We, we've done well, better than I usually do on a Sunday morning with Sunday school hour, but I want to ask you to turn to John chapter, uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, chapter 50. Got John in my mind today. Jeremiah chapter 50, please. As we think about the words of John 18 and the witness they give us of the work of Christ as He's about to go to the cross and, and, and tell justice, here I am, let my people go. We read this in John 50 of what we understand to be a coming day of Israel's conversion. And John, uh, Jeremiah, did I say John again? John 50. Y'all knew I couldn't be right because you know there's no 50 chapters in John, right? If I said Psalms, maybe. If I said Isaiah, maybe. But other books, is going to fall out. No 50. John, Jeremiah, I'm still trying to do it. John 50. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 20. Please notice these words. They're, they're words, again, we understand will one day be true of Israel, but brothers and sisters, right now, God's people who are saved by His sovereign grace can say it. In those days, and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found, for I will pardon them who I reserve. Think about that. And that's true of what God will one day do for Israel. And verse 19 tells about how He's going to bring Israel back to His habitation, feed them on Carmel and Bashan. But brothers and sisters, what will one day be true for them as God's people, as God in future grace works graciously in restoring them, what will be true for them is already true for us. Find my sin. You can't do it. Why? Because there, to use the words of Scripture, as far as the east is from the west, how far is that? Infinitely far. You know how if you go north, after a while, you're going to start going south on this old earth planet. But if you go east, as Mr. Kipling said, east is east and west is west, and ne'er the twain, the two shall meet. But I love those words of Micah, chapter 7, where it speaks about God's dealings for His people and how Thou hast buried their sins in the depths of the sea. I'll close quickly with this, but the... Back in the 70s when I was a young believer, there was a southern gospel song that told about a man who shouted in church every Sunday. They were going to have a, a good uptown gospel group to come to the church and they didn't want the man to be shouting, you know, interrupting that gospel scene. So they told him they had a special job for him to do. They wanted him to guard the pastor's study. In order to make sure that he'd behave, they took out every Bible, anything that might get him to shout 
only thing they left in there were some National Geographics. The gospel sing was going well. Everybody's enjoying the music. And they thought, well, we took care of him. He's not going to interrupt things today. All of a sudden, they heard a commotion coming from the pastor's study. And they ran back there. Brother, what in the world's going on? He said, I was reading these here National Geographics. He said, I read one up where it says that Mount Everest is 29,000 feet high above sea level. I said, I was reading reading over there and another one of them and it says that Mariana's Trench over there in in, in the South Pacific is 36,000 feet deep. They said, so? He said, well, I just got to shout because I thought how God took the mountain of my sin and buried him in the depths of the sea and there's over 7,000 feet left. Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, brothers and sisters, you realize that's what God's done. He's taken the mountain of our sin and He says, I'm cast it into the depths of the sea. He's dealt with it. What? Never to be remembered. And that's the good news of the new covenant, isn't it? Jeremiah 31. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. God quotes it in Hebrews 8. He quotes it again in Hebrews 10. Why? Because He wants His people to know that He has satisfaction through the payment and death of His Son. Because He's satisfied, you and I can be satisfied. The court of heaven has dropped charges against God's people. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And John pictures for us that cleansing, but also that account that is clear in John 13 and then in John 18. Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, God's dear Son.